welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I didn't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who, who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And when you did, and when you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. Since she lived in a house that was built into the city, into the wall of the city, go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, Go on your way. The men said to her, We will be free from this oath you made us. Swear, unless when we enter the land you tie the scarlet cord on the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all of your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. 
and she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way, but they did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. You may be seated. Thank you, Drew. That's not even our passage today. I actually, just to kind of get even with you, picked a really long, I'm just kidding, it is. I thought it'd be funny. Just give you a really long passage with lots of names. Hey, could you read this real quick before we start? We are in Joshua 2, and there's no way to split up this chapter. I'm sure there are ways, but the integrity of the message of this passage is in the sum of the whole story. So I want to introduce the story to you this morning, tell the story briefly, and then apply the story. But to do that, I need God's help. So let's pray. God Almighty, I thank you so much for this church and especially your presence in it. I ask that the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are my strength. I ask that what needs to be said would be said and what needs to be left on the page would be left on the page. You can do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love stories that contain impossible odds, don't we? We love movies. We love books where the story is about someone overcoming impossible odds, whether uh, that is uh, Marcus Luttrell in Lone Survivor, which is a, a true story. I've read both the book and watched the movie. Um, or maybe it's just even Peter Parker, my favorite Marvel superhero, Spider-Man. Or maybe it's my son Abel's favorite character, Adonis Creed, and how he comes back. But we love stories where people come uh, overcome impossible odds. We love when that gap is bridged. I mean, nobody uh, in here that I'm aware of would be drawn to watching a movie. They might not even make movies about this guy who goes to a private school and makes a set of reasonable decisions and uh, pursues an MBA uh, that he pays cash for by working hard. And then he's a good employee and a great neighbor. The only way that movie would be made or watched is if he was secretly an assassin uh, or a serial killer. Then maybe my wife would watch that movie, I'm sure. Um, but if we are not drawn naturally to stories that are static, where somebody has it all together and the movie ends with them having it all together, we're drawn to um, massive distances being spanned obstacles, mountains even, overcome. And that is what's going on in Joshua chapter 2. It's actually the story of God's sovereign grace or God's all-powerful, mighty mercy going ahead of the people of God into Jericho and giving the gift of faith to Rahab, a prostitute, in that powerful city, 
and God creating a relationship with her that is spoken of, obviously, to this very day. We love stories of overcoming odds. And actually, it's part of just being made in the image of God. It's part of the human story. You see, ever since Adam and Eve were not only made, but walked closely with God every day in an unbroken relationship with him, they chose sin. And so they were cast out of the garden. Ever since Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, we've been reading stories about how God would bridge the gap back to people. That's the largest gap, I want to argue this morning, that can be bridged. It's not Marcus Luttrell. How did he make it off of that mountain in Afghanistan? Unbelievable bravery and courage against all odds. God protected him. Greater than anything on this earth is the distance God bridges from sinful people to his perfect self in a perfect relationship that will last forever. Bridging that gap is all God's work and it is called grace. I have witnessed God do this in real time. On my very first trip to the Himalayan mountains, we went to a village after a long hike, a very small village that had never heard the gospel before. And there in that village, I was talking with some people who had just accepted Christ. And as we were talking, this seven-year-old boy came walking. And I remember seeing him in my periphery. He looked rather sheepish and he looked tired. And he came up to me and I, I, I brought in my translator to help me speak with him. And my translator began speaking with the boy. And he said, this boy last night had a dream where, where he believes God spoke to him. And in that dream, God told him to leave his house and, and he would find what he was looking for. And that boy left his house, a seven-year-old boy, and wandered around this village all night. And in the morning, he came across a group of people from this church who were sharing the gospel And that seven-year-old boy recognized what he was looking for immediately and placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And a church was planted in that village that still exists today. In fact, when my wife and I were there a couple months ago, they were telling us very excitedly about this new village that was reached and uh, with the gospel. And they said, and you know who's doing the follow-up discipleship in that village? It's, it's that church that, that you guys went up into that village and, and was started on that day. That, that, that group is now a mature group of believers and they're going back and doing discipleship in that village. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Yes, so God bridging enormous gaps is God's almighty grace. You've heard the phrase sovereign grace. Um, It's really God's powerful mercy. This is what God does. He's perfect and high and holy, and yet God reaches down to the lowly and he brings them near to himself. 
Last Sunday at the close of chapter one, three sermons into our series in the book of Joshua, we heard the loud, eager responses of the people of God that were willing to follow Joshua wholeheartedly into taking the land. And they were following God in two major promises. If you have your Bible, you'll see in Joshua chapter one, in verse three, God promises Joshua, I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads. Verse five, no one will be able to stand against you. I will be with you. There is no place and no person. The theme of chapter two is this. There is no place beyond God's power and there is no person past his mercy. The people of God are now eyeing the land across the Jordan River You remember last week I had a map up here. The the people of God are stationed just east of the Jordan River. The promised land lies to the west. The people in unity and in full obedience are wanting to go out across the Jordan and possess the promised land with God's promise that no one will stand against them. And every place their foot treads, every place the sole of their foot treads will be given to them. Actually, it has already been given to them in God's promise and God's power. So chapter two starts out with Joshua, the son of Nun, scene one of our story this morning. Joshua, the son of Nun, sends out two spies from the Acacia Grove saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. And so they left. What's cool about this, if you remember in the book of Numbers, the story is told that Moses wanted the promised land investigated. He sent out 12 spies. You remember this story? And 10 of the spies came back saying, the giants in the land are too great. There's no way we can go into this land. But Joshua and his associate Caleb came back with a good report and said, we can certainly go in. God's given us this land. Uh, I can't prove this to you, but I find it uh, very amusing um, that Joshua says, we only need two spies. I've I've been there before. The 10 aren't going to work. We just need two faithful spies to go in the land and give us a faithful report. And remember the pattern of obedience we talked about last week? The Lord, after Moses dies, comes to Joshua and he says, I'll be with you. And Joshua obeys. He says, go to the people. So Joshua goes to the people, the leaders of the people, and he gives them instruction. And what do the people do? Everything you say to do, we'll do. Everywhere you tell us to go, we will go. Here, chapter two, verse one, Joshua sends out two spies saying, go scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left. Here's who God is. He's going to be with you. Now obey. This is this pattern in the book so far. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So they leave the safety of their encampment and they advance as like forward reconnaissance for the whole nation of Israel. And these spies go to this walled city of Jericho. Just in the coming weeks, we're going to be telling the glorious story of the battle of Jericho, of which songs have been written. And I'm sure you know the story, but I won't spoil it for you. So you hear it afresh in a couple weeks. That city, Jericho, with its mighty walls and the king safely ruling from within, Joshua dispatches two soldiers in forward reconnaissance into Jericho They enter Jericho. We don't know how they get in, but here's where they go. The house of a prostitute named Rahab. Likely, 
in this world, Rahab was running some sort of a tavern or an inn, something that was a gathering place for people and also had lodging. Now we know that Rahab's house was built into the city wall itself. Now we know in just a minute from where she hides these two spies that it is uh, all the way up to the top of the wall, her roof. So her place of business her lodging, and the roof is on the wall of this city. They go there. It makes sense that they would go there to get a lay of the land. And God makes a divine appointment for them in this relationship with Rahab. Right away, verse 2, the king of Jericho hears through his sources that these men are here. And he goes to Rahab, who immediately decides to protect them. The king of Jericho says, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house. Verse four, but Rahab had taken them and hidden them. So she tells the king, yes, the men did come, but I didn't know where they were from. They already went out of the city gate and I don't know where they're going. Then Rahab actually takes a very, now she starts playing offense here and steers the king's response and says, hurry up, chase after them outside the city gate. I believe you'll catch them. But verse six Rahab begins rescuing these two spies, children of God. Her first act of faith here, she takes them up to the roof, verse 6, and she hides them among stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. Flax, if you don't know what that is, uh, I didn't either, I googled it. thought it was like an ingredient in healthy cereal or something, I don't know. They would dry, lay out and dry these, this flax and it would be used to make clothing, like fine linen. And so she had these sheaves of flax that were going to be laid out and dried on the roof of her house, laid out on the roof, and she hides the two spies under them. The men pursued them all the way back to the Jordan River. And as soon as those men of the king dispatched to find the men who are not outside the gates, they're inside the gates, the city gates shut. Sense this tension for a minute as the two spies sent by Joshua are shut in enemy territory. The gates are shut. They're on the roof of one of the mighty walls of Jericho. But as you notice that tension, like that same sort of tension you feel when you read the Marcus Luttrell story and you see that there he's alone in enemy territory. I I want you to notice something that's bigger than that. The power of God to keep us in absolutely any situation that we're in. You see, there is no place beyond God's power. There is nowhere that you could go. The psalmist in 139 said, where should I go from your presence? If I, if, if, if I go on the wings of the morning, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. Even the darkness is as light to you And vice versa, wherever I go, you are there. There is no safer place than wherever you are with God, even the very grave. God never leaves us, 
God never forsakes us. Even in the enemy territory of Jericho, these two spies are safe and secure as the city gates shut. Our next section in verses 8 through 13 highlights the beautiful faith of Rahab. And we're going to see Rahab interact with God's power and God's mercy here in verses 8 through 13. In verse 10, we see that in verses 8 and 9, Rahab sneaks up to the roof to maybe uh, let these two spies know. So just picture this. So the, the, the king's men have pursued the two spies errantly outside the city gates all the way back to the Jordan River. The gates are shut. Rahab checks the windows. She knows that the coast is clear. She climbs up to the roof where the men are about to fall asleep in the safety of God's powerful presence, even in enemy territory. And here's the core of the story. Rahab wants these two spies to know why she did what she did. And here, it cannot be missed one of the longest female narratives in all of scripture is dedicated to Rahab who speaks powerfully of who our God is to these two men. Beginning in verse 10, she says, we have heard here in Jericho, we heard that God parted the Red Sea. We heard what you did when Sihon and Og, these two kings that we, we heard about, that they wouldn't let you pass. They wouldn't let you pass through their territory, and God not only gave them into your hand, you utterly destroyed them. Every place you go, your God is with you, and we've heard of that, and the people tremble. She doesn't stop there. While the people of Jericho lost heart and everyone's courage is failing because of these stories, here's what Rahab knows. Second half of verse 11, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, just, just go with me here for one minute into Rahab's cultural context, and I, I want you to understand what's normal for Rahab. What's normal for Rahab is that in this Canaanite pagan, why am I using the word pagan? Godless, or maybe many, many gods trying to worship this god for that, Baal for this, the Asherah for this. The, the, in this pagan anti-God context, Rahab quotes God's words back to God. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Exodus 20, verse 4. These are three words from God that he had given already at this time to his people. Exodus 20, verse 4, do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on earth below or in the waters under the earth. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, God says today recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Deuteronomy 5, 8, do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or the waters under the earth. Rahab, a woman dwelling 
in a pagan city of Jericho, walled off, you would think completely isolated from interacting with the person and the the saving works of God, has the gift of faith put in her heart by God Almighty, and she expresses God's words back to God when she says this, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is faith, and this is really worship. You know, when we worship, we're simply responding to who God is. We've talked about this before. But you know, one of the great privileges in worship is when we recite God's words back to God. If you're ever at a loss uh, uh, for what to pray, and maybe you found yourself here before, just take God at his very word. God, you have said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God, you have said nothing is impossible for you. God, you have said I will never leave you or forsake you so that I can boldly say that you are my helper and I will not fear what people can do to me. Rahab has the gift of faith and she uses God's words back to God, but that is in response to God's power. Look at verses 12 and 13. In verses 12 and 13, she says, Now please swear to me by the Lord, by the Lord, that you will show kindness, mercy to my whole family. Save us from death. I love what this writer, Dale Davis, says about these verses. Quote, Amazingly, Rahab not only trembles before the terror of the Lord, but also senses that there might be mercy in this fearful God. He remarks, what but the touch of Yahweh's hand could have created such faith in the heart of this pagan harlot? So there walled in the city of Jericho, a nation that should, a city that should know nothing of God in Canaan. A prostitute in that city is given such a rich faith that she not only protects these spies, recites God's power back to God, and then asks for that God's mercy. And we see already this theme developing through the whole book that there is no place beyond God's power and there is no person past God's mercy. Verses 14 through 21, really the story plays out in first a covenant. The man, the men answered her, we'll give our lives for yours. This is a covenant. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. So then she lets them down by a rope through the window of her house, down through the city walls. And then it is made Uh, clear, the covenant is clarified a little bit, beginning in verse 17. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath that you made us swear unless when we enter the land, remember, the whole nation's going to go march on Jericho to destroy it. Let this scarlet cord down out of the window and everyone that's in that house, now nobody can leave the house. You got to stay in that house. Like all the family that you fit in that house that stays in that house, provided the scarlet red cord is there out of the window, will be saved. Verse 21, let it be as you say. And this scarlet thread, such a rich story. Back in Genesis, Tamar gives birth 
to a son and wraps a scarlet cord around his hand. In Exodus, the next book, the Passover happens and everyone who puts the blood of the lamb on the outside of their house is passed by. Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, Rahab puts the scarlet cord down out of her window. Rahab mentioned in Matthew chapter one, alongside of who? Two women are named Tamar and Rahab in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab becomes a woman of faith noted throughout the whole New Testament and becomes one of the mothers in the line of King David in the line of the Messiah, King Jesus. And here we see that there is no distance that God is not willing to travel to bring people to himself. Our God is not just the God of power, but he is the God of mercy. There is no place that he cannot go and break into, and there is no person past him being able to reach. The story concludes by coming back to Joshua. Verse 22, so the two men, they left the city. They, down the side of the wall, they, they leave Jericho into the hill country. They stay there for three days until the pursuers had returned back to Jericho. Then they go back to Joshua, the son of Nun, and reported everything. Look at verse 24. Here's the report. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. And as the report comes back to Joshua, I want you to see this in verse 24. If you're using one of the journals, um, if you purchased one of the journals, this would be a good thing to write uh, in the margin there. When it says in the CSB, the Lord has handed over the entire land, this is the Hebrew idea of to give. In chapter one alone, that idea of to give happened eight times. Eight times in Joshua chapter one, to give is attributed to God Almighty. And here as chapter two wraps up, the spies go ahead to see what God is doing ahead of them in Jericho. And they say, God has given, God has given this into our hands. God all things belong to him. It is in fully in his power to give these things, and our God does give them. These two spies are in the line of Joshua and Caleb of bringing good news to the people of God. And this story reveals that God is keeping his promise already by chapter 2. Every place their foot treads is being given to them by God Almighty. In conclusion this morning, I want to know from Genesis chapter 12 and forward that God is keeping his promises. No one is able to stand against the people of God in every place they go, God is giving them. But more specifically this morning, I want to think about Rahab in this conclusion. You see, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, at the end of the verse 3, God promises this to Abraham, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Not just your people, Abraham, not just the people of Israel, 
all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so when you, when, if you're like me, when you start reading the book of Joshua in chapter one, you start reading Joshua as God is with his people, which he is, and he's making promises to his people, and he's going forward uh, ahead of them and giving them the victory. And you almost just expect that they're going to steamroll their way through the promised land. But here we see already that our God, our God, the Lord, is rich in mercy. He is slow to anger and he is steadfast and faithful in his love that before the people of God ever set foot in Jericho, before God gives his people Jericho, God gives faith to Rahab. This prostitute in a pagan city, unreached by the people of God, God goes there first, proving that there is no person past God's mercy. As we get to the book of Matthew, we see that in chapter one, verse five here, Rahab is listed in the genealogy, the line of Jesus. When we get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 31, where only a handful of names are, cho- are chosen to celebrate as trophies of grace a people that God has given faith because it is by grace that anybody is saved. It is through faith that does not come from us. It is a gift of God. It is not of work. So people like me can't brag about it. So that self-righteous Christian should be an oxymoron. Humble and grateful should be the Christian knowing that the only reason I believe in God is not because of my intellect and it's not because of my parents and it's not even because of my church. It's because God gave me the gift of faith and I am eternally grateful to him. We see this about Rahab. She's a trophy of God's grace. One scholar writes this, it is Part of the Bible's pattern that shows God working in unexpected ways through unexpected people, often the poor, the disadvantaged, the outcast. Another writer, Richard Hess, has this to say, the story of Rahab confirms God's welcome to all people, whatever their condition. Like Paul, Rahab exhibits faith and understanding of the God who saves her. She becomes part of the family line that leads to the birth of Jesus and is a model of faith for all Christians. Rahab teaches us that people being reached by the gospel is all about the God who reaches them. We don't save people, God does. And this should create gratitude in our hearts and this should create confidence and dependence upon him. Like I said, we're not drawn to documentaries or movies about somebody who made just a set of reasonable, boring decisions. At the end of the movie, it's like a, they, they had, and they had a good credit score and their neighbors liked them. We're drawn to brokenness because we want to see brokenness overcome at all costs. I, I want you this morning to know this from the story of Rahab. And I'm going to ask my cousin to come up and we're going to respond by celebrating God's grace in a minute. God is not as afraid of your brokenness and your loved one's brokenness as you are. 
You, you, you know the, the guilt and shame that you struggle with? You know the, the struggles that your loved ones have? You know the things that give you anxiety and worry? God's not as afraid of that. He's not afraid at all. His perfect love casts out fear, actually. You know the God who went ahead of Israel and broke through the walls of Jericho before his people ever marched around them one time and put faith in Rahab the prostitute's heart so that she saved two spies and became a model for all generations. The God who did that is the God who can reach the person you lay down to next to at night. You know the, the, the child that's down the hall at your house that you're just like, how do I reach this child? You don't. God does. You know the loved one who, who, who's moved away and they live on the other side of the country? And you're just like, how on earth could God save them from this situation? You can't, but God can. Because there is no place that is beyond God's power. There is no person alive that is past God's mercy. We, we've fallen for a very man-centered view of the gospel where if we share it just right, people accept it. If we put on the right type of church service, people will come and give their lives to Christ and Christian missions. That's not how I came to Christ. I came to Christ sitting outside of a 90-person Polish Baptist church in a town of 400 people that had an organ and a piano. And you know what? No one was with me when I gave my life to Christ. God put in my heart that he wanted me, and he broke in, and I placed my faith in Christ that day. There is a person who you're worried about, I know, and I want to give you the bad news and the good news this morning. You can't reach them. You can't save them. The good news is God can't. There is no person past God's mercy. We see that all around the world to this very day, it's not just that boy in the Himalayan mountains, and it's not just Rahab, that in real time, God is doing this work today. Do you see, God is pursuing people all across the world as we speak. He delights in reaching these people, delights in showing mercy to these people, and then Zechariah says God sings over them. God sings over them with joy because they're trophies of his grace. And so what do I want the effect of this morning to be I, I want to go to the Lord's table and celebrate God's grace and at the table this morning in just a minute the ushers are going to distribute the elements and at the table this morning if you have a relationship with God I, I would like us to take a moment of quietness and just cast down our pride uh, somehow we as Christians struggle with pride. It shouldn't be that way, but we do. 
Somehow we as people who have been rescued by such a great grace become self-reliant. It makes no sense. And so during this time, I, 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 I want to lay it all down and I want to thank God for rescuing us just like he did Rahab. I, I want to, as we go to the table, I want you to bring someone to the table in prayer. The, the, there, there, is a, there is somebody that you're concerned with. It could be your spouse. It could be a child, a, a neighbor, a brother or sister, a loved one that you haven't spoken with for a long time. Uh, I want to ask God to go into that city, into that walled city, and create faith and bring that person to him by his grace. And last, there is someone here. There's people here every Sunday who do not yet have a relationship with the Lord. And I, can I just talk to you for 30 seconds? You're here for a reason this morning. You're not guaranteed tomorrow or tonight. None of us are. It is only possible to spend an eternity with God and have, a, have this loneliness in your heart solved by believing that Jesus Christ paid a penalty for your sins that you never could. That that scarlet thread out the window is the cross of Jesus Christ where he hung and bled and died for you. And that when we stand before God, there is only one correct answer and it's in the neighborhood of only Jesus, only Jesus, only by your mercy, oh God, through your son am I forgiven and can I be here. As the elements come before you, before you partake, partake of them, would you call out to God and ask him to save you by his grace? There's going to be people up here that would be willing to pray with you when we're done as well.